Abraham. Abraham knew that voice. That same voice had called him out of Ur of the Chaldees many years before. That same voice had led him to uh, be a pilgrim and a stranger, a sojourner. That same voice had given Abraham the promises that he could look forward to a city, not a city here on this earth, but a city whose builder and maker is God. That same voice had led him throughout his life as he taught his family and his children and his extended household about the things of heaven. Abraham knew that voice, and that voice now came to Abraham with a very fearful, fearful command. Offer your son. Now, to to understand what Abraham was going through, we have to open the, the book of Genesis, and we have to look closer at the story. As we do so, I'd invite you just to bow your heads with me for an additional word of prayer. Father in heaven, today we thank you that we can pause and just ask once again for your presence to be here, your spirit to be our teacher and our guide. Lord, we need your voice to speak to us, not just to hear a good sermon, Lord, but to hear your voice. We want to hear your voice sort of like Abraham heard your voice. We want to have a personal message from you today. So today, Father, I just ask that as we as we open your word, that your spirit would speak to our hearts, that we might have uh, the experience that Abraham had of, of hearing and knowing that you have a message for us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Abraham, we've talked about Abraham. We've talked about he, how he was called to be the father of the faithful, how God called him to do a work, a singular work that nobody else could understand. He was called to live a life that he couldn't explain to anybody else. And in order to do that, he had to leave that which was familiar. He had to have that work of detachment so that he might attach himself to the mission, the, the work that God would have for him to do. And the Bible records the story of Abraham. It's not a perfect story. There's, there are mistakes in Abraham's, in Abraham's uh, life. In fact, one friend of mine recently said, you know, I don't know why you have such a, um, such a uh, paraphrasing, such a, a focus on Abraham. Um, I think he was sort of a wimp. You know how he said twice, I'll call Sarah my sister, because he was afraid of what might happen if if, he was to, if they were to know he was, she was his wife. Um, Abraham made some mistakes. In fact, one of the mistakes we're going to look at here, beginning with, with uh, the story here of Abraham in, um, in Genesis chapter 16. In Genesis chapter 16, Abraham, it says, Sarah, Abraham's wife, bare him no children, verse 1. And she had a handmaid, um, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. So here you have uh, Abraham he and Sarah have been promised children, but they don't have any children, and they're getting up in years. I mean, they're beyond the, beyond the time when they would expect to have children, and, and really to the time when they would expect that they can't have children. And um, so Sarah says, says to Abraham in verse 2, Behold now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Now, this is, the, this is the story. Now, in the culture around, around them, remember, they've left her of the Chaldees because God wanted to do something special with them, right? God wanted them not to be, to be so influenced by the culture of the family and friends. God wanted to have a, a special experience, a special relationship with Abram. And Abram wanted, was called by God to be a special testimony to those who should live afterwards of what a life with God is all about. And God calls him 
to be the father of the faithful. Remember, the spiritual ancestor of all those who would believe, even all the way down to the last days. God's called them to him to the special purpose. And now, Abram's faith is faltering in God's promises. Abraham's beginning to doubt. Can God really do what he said he could do? I mean, in the past, he'd believed, he had, he'd been fully persuaded, he'd been convinced, and God imputed it, he accounted it to him for righteousness because he had believed. But here you see Abraham is really not believing, is he? He listens to what Sarah says. Sarah says, look, Abram, I know you have this close thing with God and all that. I know God told you we're going to have kids. But maybe God needs a little help. Maybe we can just help him out along this way, you know. After all, he's waited a little too long. And it's too late for us. So you know how they do it in the, the people around us. Polygamy had begun to be practiced. And it was, it was common in the culture around them there, in the post-flood world. And uh, that, by the way, was not God's plan. We know, in fact, from reading the New Testament, we know that God and well, just from the Old Testament story, we know that God still intended to give Abraham and Sarah a son, right? We know that. But somehow, Abraham began to look around the culture, and he began to listen to his wife. Instead of listening to the voice of God, he began to have doubts that God could really do without some help what he had promised to do. And so, they began to, to look at how the other people around them had families, and if there was a, a, you know, a, a, a wife that couldn't have children, what they did, and how they took more than one wife. I want you to know something. The Bible's very clear, and I, I sometimes wonder how Christians can be at all a- ambiguous about this. The Bible's very clear. If you just read the first few chapters of Genesis, the Bible's very clear that God made man in the beginning. Now, the Bible does not say God made him black and white. God doesn't say he made him Asian and, and Hispanic and Caucasian. God say, the Bible says that God made man in the beginning, male and female created he them. Isn't that what it says? From the very beginning, God created this beautiful thing called man in the image of God, mankind in the image of God, and he made man male and female. God created gender. God gave us gender. God gave us this wonderful gift. Today, I'll just be really honest, the world has a lot of confusion about gender. Would you agree with me on that? Is that a true statement? The world has a lot of confusion, but God didn't create us with confusion. God made us male and female, and both of us are gifted by God with a portion of the image of God, and together and only together can we fully reflect the character and the image of God. God made us male and female, and it's not ambiguous either when it gets to the next chapter and it talks about marriage. It's not good for man, Adam, to be alone, and so God made woman, and and, and He said He made them to be together. And, and the Bible says, for this cause shall a man leave his mother and his father and shall cleave unto his wife, and they, how many? They too shall become one flesh. Is polygamy a part of God's original plan? No, it doesn't say that they three or four or five or a dozen will become, uh, will become uh, one flesh. That's not what God's plan was. They too, male and female, God made this in the beginning, they too shall become one flesh. That's God's plan for marriage. Can someone say Amen. 
You know, I was one time in, in Africa, a very remote area of Nigeria, up near the uh, Benin border, and um, we, were, we were out there visiting this village. This man had been listening to a shortwave radio station, and he had heard the truth of the Bible, and he had decided that he wanted to follow that truth. Now, this young man was a very honest, sincere man. He was, he was only about 26 years old. He was the most prosperous man in the village. He was a nurse. I believe he had an education. He'd gone, and he'd come back, and he owned several clinics now, and he was very active in his church. There was only one church in the village, and, and the church there had told them, in order to be an elder, I'm not sure where they got this or what translation of the Bible they had, but they told them that in order to be an elder, he needed to have more than one wife. Now, the Bible actually says the opposite, you know, um, that an elder should be the husband of one wife. But for some reason, in that little church, they told him, you need to have more than one wife. And so this man, it was, it was one of the most surreal experiences I've ever had. You know, you hear about polygamy, you hear, but have you ever been in a polygamy, a polygamous home? Well, I was. And I went to his home, and I met his wives. He had four of them. And they were, they act, they seemed to be good friends. And they were taking care of each other's children, and, you know, baby starts crying. I mean, anyone could nurse because they all had little children, you know, and it was just a very, very unusual situation. And then we began talking. Actually, we had a village meeting. He sort of got the people together in his church, and we went to this little building they, structure they called a church, and, and um, they started asking us questions about the Bible because they had been listening to the radio too, and they had been learning about the Bible. They started asking questions. I'll never forget when the question came up. It was inevitable. What about our wives? What do we do? We have multiple wives. Should we have multiple wives? Should we not? And this is the time when I said, you know what? I'm going to let the Nigerian pastor answer these questions <laughs> because I don't know exactly how to answer these questions. Um, we do believe that in these cultures where, where these wives are dependent upon the sustenance and support of their husbands, that they shouldn't just be abandoned, left out in the street. And, but the Bible's pretty clear that God's original purpose was that there should be a man and a woman and they too should become one flesh, not polygamy. And so Abram here is, is faltering, his faith is faltering, and he, he decides to take Sarah, uh, Hagar, as a wife, and it only causes trouble. You know, whenever we depart from God's plan, it only brings us trouble. Sometimes we think, well, I can get away with this, you know? Listen, it, let's just be really clear here. I don't want to dwell on the negative. I want to dwell on the positive. God always knows what's best for us. We complicate ourselves when we, when, we do, when we do things that are outside of His will. God always knows what's best. And we see here in the story of Abraham, the story, and you know, we've been, this is a series we've been studying for a while, so um, we're just now coming to this story. And it, it, it says here, it says that after she conceived, there, there, there was more enmity now between Sarah and Hagar. And, and Sarah even said, I made a mistake, you know. Now she's despising me. Now Hagar thought she was more than, you know, just, she was more than, now she thought, well, listen, I'm Abraham's new wife. And you remember, how, how large is Abraham's household? Is he a poor man or a rich man? 
We, we calculated that he had well over a thousand people that came or that, that were a part of his household. He took 318 armed servants, trained servants, born in his household with him to fight the battle of the kings, okay? So he's a wealthy man. He's a prince in the region. He's, he's, people look up to him for his relationship with God. He's made a big mistake. And Sarah now realizes it because Hagar thinks, well, she, now I'm, I miss Abraham. I misses Abraham too. And they had this, this uh, stress between them, and, and Abraham tried to stay out of it, and then Sarah only made it worse, and Hagar fled. And notice with me verse 8, Genesis chapter 16, verse 8. I think it's very important for us to notice what, uh, what, what happens here. Hagar flees into the wilderness, and an angel of the Lord comes and meets her, finds her by the fountain of water in the wilderness. It says in verse 8 that the angel of the Lord said, Hagar... And then what are the next words? Sarah's maid. Do you, under, do you understand what God is doing here? God is saying, now, does God love Hagar? Of course he loves Hagar. He, I mean, the fact that he would go out in the wilderness looking for her and find her and, and, and an angel would have this message for her tells us that God loved Hagar. But Abraham has made a mistake and God's eyes is Hagar, Abraham's wife. Absolutely not. And when God addresses, or the angel of the Lord addresses Hagar, he addresses her as Sarah's maid. Because that's who she was in God's eyes. Now, I'm not saying, I don't think this was God demeaning her. I think it's God telling us today in 2015 that even though man may recognize some relationships as bona fide, God does not necessarily so. Hagar, Sarah's maid, he says, where are you going? When do you come from? And he, he had this conversation with her. Polygamy, you see, was not a part of God's plan. For those who say, well, you know, if you want to go back to biblical marriage, you have to believe in all of this, this corrupt uh, polygamy and, and abuse of women and everything else. They haven't really studied the Bible. God made man upright, but they have perverted God's plan. And uh, the Bible's very clear. This is, not, this is not God's plan for us today. Hagar, Sarah's maid. Well, the story goes on that in Genesis chapter 17, um, we, we, we find some details. I have to move quickly here today. God re reaffirms His covenant with Abraham. He says, I will establish my covenant between you and your seed for all generations, an everlasting covenant, and so forth. And he that is born in your house, he teaches him about circumcision and so forth. Notice me, verse 17. Abraham fell upon his face. He's Abraham now, by the way. This is now Abraham. Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Listen, God, just accept our part in this, in this helping you out business. You know, you've promised, but we have a son. It's Ishmael. Is, it, is God going to accept Ishmael? Why is God not going to accept Ishmael? Listen, God has promised that he is able to do in Abraham the impossible. Do you remember that? He's able to do the impossible. He's able to do in Abraham and Sarah the impossible. Abraham says, well, I'll do it my way. I'll do my own works. Abraham is, is becoming an object lesson of righteousness by faith, not righteousness by works. Righteousness by what? 
faith. And faith says, it looks at my condition, I look at my condition, I say, God, I don't know how I can be saved. I'm a sinner, I'm selfish. My natural bent of heart is so evil. Chester is so uh, self-seeking naturally. I tend to, to worry about me and look out for number one. And, and there's so many things. If, if I, in fact, I really believe that if God's Holy Spirit were to reveal to me the depth of the selfishness and the wickedness of my heart, it would be overwhelmingly and discouraging. Now, I want you to understand something. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. That's part of the Holy Spirit's job, right? I'm thankful for that. Because when the Holy Spirit convicts me of sin, it also shows me that I have a Savior that's greater than my sin. But the, the devil also convicts me of sin sometimes too. Do you realize that? The devil, the devil doesn't mind convicting us of sin. But when the devil convicts us of sin, he tells us there's no hope. He tells me that I'm too bad. And sometimes, sometimes I have those feelings, and, and it's not a bad thing like we've talked about in the past. The reality is that there's no hope for me to be saved until I come to the point that I say, I can't be saved. I give up. It's, it's on, the only way that Chester is going to be in heaven. Those pearly gates are going to swing open and admit me into its holy places. The only way is if God works a miracle. A miracle. So Abraham is, has at times believed that God could work that miracle. But now he said, you know, maybe, maybe I can do part of it on my own. Maybe, Chester, maybe you can go to church and pay your tithe, and that'll sort of get you partway there. Because so, God's needing some help, you know? Maybe you can really eat a really healthy diet. And that'll help you, you know, get some brownie points. And, and by the way, you know, I mean, then you'd be better than some people that don't eat a healthy diet. You see what happens when we try to, when we try to have salvation by works? It also causes, just like it caused in Abraham's family, it causes problems in our family. Because we start thinking we're better than one another, compare ourselves among ourselves. We start thinking, well, they do that, I do this, someone else does that. I'm okay, they're okay, you know. The fact is, Salvation doesn't have anything to, it does not depend upon my works. It depends on that miracle. It depends on that miracle. So Abraham, he's, he's saying, God, please just accept Ishmael. God can't accept Ishmael. Because to accept Ishmael would be to acknowledge that he is not that powerful and he needs Abraham's help. And only, only a child of promise can be accepted. And so in verse 18, Verse 19, God says, Sarah, your wife, will bear a son indeed. You will call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. A hundred years old, 90 years old, and God is still saying, no, the son of promise is the one I'm talking about. The miracle that I perform is the one I'm talking about. That's what's really important. What I can do for you, not what you can do for, for me, not what you can do to help, help your God out. Oh, we need to learn the lessons of this, this story. Genesis chapter 21, we skip on down now. This is after the Sodom and Gomorrah and Sarah's laughing because she doesn't believe even though Abraham's told her God has, told, has said this. We skip on down to Genesis chapter 21. In verse 1 it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord said unto, did unto Sarah as he had spoken, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time which God had spoken of it to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah had bore to him, Isaac. 
and so forth. Abraham was, was obedient to what God had told him to do. And um, now, the fact is, the title of our time together is Always Obedient, and it's already pretty apparent that this is a false title, isn't it? <laughs> In fact, the more I prepared this sermon, the more I said, you know, I gave that title a little hastily, um, because he wasn't always obedient. In some ways, his, his record sort of tainted, isn't it? He wasn't always obedient. God said, you know, I can't have Abraham being the father of the faithful and leave behind the legacy of doubting and this big mistake that, that, that he made with Sarah and Hagar. I need some way of showing Chester in 2015 that Abraham learned his lesson. I need some way of showing the world that, that even though Abraham's faith sometimes faltered, Abraham came to the point where he was willing to trust God completely to do what God had promised to do. I need to have some way of demonstrating to the watching universe that, yes, the faithful in the last days can trust God, that God is able, that Abraham can be the father of the faithful in the last generation. And so, Abraham was called to a test, a closer test, a, a, a more difficult test than perhaps any other father has ever been called, at least any other human father. He was called to do the unthinkable. Genesis chapter 2, we come now to our passage for today. It came to pass after those things that God did tempt Abraham. The another word would be test Abraham. And he, God said to Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, this is what God said. God did not come to say, you know, Abraham, you know that, that son that happened to be born in your house last night or last year uh, or a long time ago, actually. You know, you know the him? What did, what did God come to Abraham with? It's very remarkable to me how God addresses. He addresses him as Isaac, your son. Not just your son, but your only son. Your only son. And he doesn't stop there, but he goes on and he says, the only son who you love. Now, just in case Abraham doesn't know who he's talking about, just in case forgot, he had forgotten, you know, how much he loved Isaac, God's reminding him. This is the son of promise. This is one you waited for over a hundred years. This is the one that was impossible that everyone said could never happen. This is the one that, that, that there was an absolute miracle performed by heaven in order for this, this son to be here. And you know Abraham loved him. You know he, he cherished him. There was nothing more dear in all the world to Abraham than his son Isaac. And here we find God saying, Take your only son and offer him there for a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you of. Now, can you imagine the, the agony of Abraham's heart? Now, some people say, Well, what is this? What is God doing? You know, I mean, didn't God know that one of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder? Doesn't God know that? Didn't Abraham know that? You know, there's, I don't want to weed, go far too too far into the weeds here on another topic because we just have a few minutes together. But 
God's law is a transcript of His character. And when God says you shall not murder, it's very clear to me, at least in my understanding, this is something you may study for yourself, but to my understanding it's very clear that God is saying, look, I am the author and the originator and the source of life. You don't have the business, you don't have any business of taking someone else's life. I own life. I give life. It's very clear to me also that God reserves that right to Himself. Does that make sense? If, if, if you come to my house and you, and, you, and, you, and you, when I'm not there, and you take something that's mine, we call that stealing, right? That's a violation of the, of the commandment, thou shalt not steal. But when I go to my house and I take something that's mine, it's not stealing. We've done the exact same thing, right? But I'm not stealing because I own it. So my understanding of why, for example, those... Um, tr those nations or people groups who 400 years after Abraham's witness still were offering their children as burnt offerings and sacrifices, they had rejected the light of heaven. They had rejected Abraham's message. He lived among their... By the way, Abraham moved around a lot, didn't he? He built altars everywhere he went. And 400 years, they knew the truth about Abraham's God. They still were offering child sacrifices. God said, these people groups need to be eliminated. Sort of like he eliminated life at the flood, didn't he? Not because he hated people, not because he didn't love people, because he wanted to preserve life in the long run. He wanted to preserve the truth in the long run. I believe God has that right because he's God. He's the author, the owner, the originator, the source of life. And so God says to Abraham, I want your son as a burnt offering. And, and there's a lot of things that God, Abraham could have said, God, this isn't right. This, you know, what will the people say? This is a, a, Isaac's a testimony of your power. And, and I, uh, there's lots of things that Abraham could have reasoned, but he had heard God's voice and he knew God's voice. I want to also mention to you, friends, Abraham didn't have a Bible, did he? All he had was his relationship with God and he heard that voice. And I believe Abraham struggled. He probably struggled the next three days as they make their way toward Moriah. And they're making their way towards where eventually the city of Jerusalem would be built on this, on this mountaintop in the land of Moriah. He makes his way to actually very close to the very spot where Jesus himself would one day die as a sacrifice, the only begotten Son of God who he loved. He makes his way there, and for three days they're journeying, and, and Abraham's heart is just breaking, and he's just torn with all these thoughts, and the devil's tempting him, and, and he's looking for more confirmations, and he's praying each night. I can imagine that Isaac's already sleeping, the servants are sleeping, and Abraham's going out to pray somewhere and saying, God, is it really you? Is that really what you said? I mean, I couldn't even tell Sarah before I left because she wouldn't allow it. And, and, uh, and then on the third day as they saw that, that cloud indicating the mountaintop that God's presence was at, that that's where it was going to be. And, and he knew that God really was speaking to him. And he took, took Isaac there and they built the altar together. But you remember that interchange where Isaac says, Dad, we have the fire and we have the wood, but where's the, where's the lamb? You can only imagine Abraham's heart as he says, God will provide a sacrifice. He couldn't then tell him, but finally, when it's all ready, he had to tell Isaac. Isaac's a young man. He, he could have easily escaped. He could have, but Isaac loved the same God his father loved. And Isaac actually, I believe, said, look, if my life could be offered as a sacrifice for the king of heaven, 
it would be an honor. And you know the story. We'll read it here. We'll read it here in, in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 22. He says in verse 10, it says, And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. The greatest test that God could bring to Abraham, the greatest test of Abraham being tested and saying, Look, Abraham, do you believe that I am the one that answers promises, or do you believe that you are the one that fulfills the promises? Do you believe that it's your, that, that I need your help, or do you believe that I can do it by myself? I can even do it without you. I can do it without Isaac, or at least without this sacrifice of Isaac. And the Bible here is very clear that as the Abraham stretched forth his hand and took his knife to slay his son, the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven. Oh, wouldn't you love to have God speaking to you out of heaven personally? I don't know if I'd like this kind of experience, you know, um, in order to have that happen. But Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. That same voice that he knew, that same voice that had called him to leave him, to called him to leave the Ur of the Chaldees, that called him to offer his son. Now he hears him saying, "Lay not your hand upon the son, upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me." The story goes on. It says that Abraham looked up his eye, lifted his eyes, and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Now this is the amazing story that we find here in Genesis 22, but it's all a parable of the plan of salvation. Even, even when we have become Christians and we're experiencing the fruit of the miracles of God, there's a temptation for us to start trusting the fruit instead of trusting God. Start trusting the things we do instead of the God who's working in us both the will and the do of His good pleasure. There's a temptation for us to start trusting our Isaac instead of trusting God. And God here gave Abraham the opportunity to, to put that good work that God was doing in his life, the, the fruit of the promise, Abraham, the child of promise, the only son whom he had begotten in, in the blessing of God, with the promise of God and obedience to God, put him on the altar. And he was able to demonstrate that Abraham still trusted in God and not in the fruit of the God's promise. Do you understand what I'm saying? Abraham was able to demonstrate that, that my trust is in the God of heaven. And if we look in our Bibles, if we look in our Bibles at, uh, at the passage in James chapter 2 and verse 17, look with me in James chapter 2 and verse 17. We're going to look at a couple of things here that, that the New Testament says are illustrated by this story. And um, two more passages and we're going to be finished. James chapter 2 and verse 17. It says, even faith, if it has not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. There's this discussion that is going on and there's evidently a time in which James is writing. There are times people are saying, look, I need to have faith, but I don't have to have obedience. And James is saying, look, you can't have real faith without obedience. They go together. It's not that James is trying to say our faith, our works save us. He's trying to say that 
you have to have real faith, and real faith is going to be demonstrated. It's going to be, there's going to be fruit. Notice with me, he, he appeals to Abraham's story in verse 20, not, 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac upon his son upon the altar? Seest thou, thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works his faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Now, how did Abraham demonstrate his belief by his works? How was that? Look with me in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, verses 17 and onward. Hebrews chapter 11, and verses 17 and onward. We are slide spilling over there a little bit, but that's okay. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to see this, this faith story that we find here in Hebrews 11. In verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, tested, tempted, as the King James said in, in Genesis, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall your seed be called. Now, this is how Abraham's faith was demonstrated, how his belief was demonstrated by his works. He, this is what, what Paul tells us in Hebrews. Abraham accounted, he, he believed, that God was able to raise him, Isaac, up even from the dead, from whence also he had received him in a figure. Now, this is faith. This is faith, friends. I want you to know that if you study your Bible, beginning in Genesis, and you read chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, all the way to chapter 21 and then to chapter 22, you're going to discover what I believe is the truth. The truth is that up to the time of Genesis chapter 22, when God calls Abraham to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, nobody had ever been raised from the dead. Nobody. This was humanly unthinkable, impossible, unknown. There was no way it could happen. All the previous generations had died. The first one, according to Romans chapter 5, to be raised from the dead is, is, is actually Moses. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that death reigned from Adam to Moses. Now, did people stop dying after Moses? No. But we believe Moses, Jude, you should find the story there. Michael and, the, uh, and Lucifer are contending over the body of Moses. And guess who wins? Michael, Jesus wins, and, and he's resurrected. I believe that's the, the end of the story. So Moses is the first to be resurrected. Is Moses before Abraham or after Abraham? He's after Abraham. Nobody has ever been raised from the dead. But Abraham's faith was so great that he said, look, God gave me the child of promise basically out of the grave. I am 100 years old, my, my wife 90. It was impossible. It was a miracle. If God, and the promise is, Isaac is the child of promise. Out of Isaac's seed, uh, the promise is going to be given. It's Isaac that God's going to fulfill his promises through. I don't know how he's going to do it. I have no idea what this thing called resurrection is, but God is able to do the impossible. That's faith. And Abraham on Mount Moriah, he demonstrates that he fully believes in God's promises. Not in his own performance, not even in the fruit of, the fruit of his, his, uh, his belief in God's promises in the past, not in his good works and the things that he'd done, not he believes God is still able. Oh, friends, this morning, the reason why Abraham is the father of the faithful, because he demonstrated 
that he'd overcome his weakness and his doubting and his, his trying to help God. And he demonstrated that he'd come to the point where he said, you know, God, I can't do it. It's out of my hands. But I trust that you will do what you've promised to do. I don't know about you. I don't know about the experiences that you have in your lives. But the, the promise is that God is able to do what He says He will do. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And if in Galatians chapter 3, it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. And verse 8 says the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen. Who? Would God justify the, 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 the good people? The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. Preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. I don't know, but I think I need to be more like Abraham. I think I need more faith. I need more faith to believe that God is able to do what He's promised to do. And He's able to do it even in my life. He's able to do it in your life as well. I don't know about you, friends, but I've tried this business of saving myself by my good works. It doesn't work out very well. I've tried even resting on my laurels of what God has done in my life in the past and knowing that He worked in my life in the past. But what I need every day is a fresh faith and belief in what God can do for me today. He can save me from myself. He can save me from my sin. He can save me from my natural bent toward evil. Oh, I need to take those steps to, to allow Him to work in my life, but I don't have to wait until I've done something to prove myself to God, or, because I can't, only He can. I need that experience fresh every single day. How about you? Is that what you want? You want to say, Lord, today I've come to the realization I can't do it on my own. It's just impossible, as impossible for me to be righteous as it was for Abraham to have children. More impossible, probably. But I'm convinced today that you're able to do the impossible in my life. You want to say that today? You want to say, Lord, work a miracle in my life, a miracle that I can't do for myself. Save me in spite of myself, not because of myself, and save me in spite of myself my weak, unchristlike self. Father in heaven, we just want to pray today that we would be the spiritual descendants of Abraham. Lord, I know there's many people in this room. We're all in a different, in a different experience. We've all had a different background, a different past. But Lord, there's one thing I know. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And another thing I know, Lord, is we all try to do it by our own good works. We try to help you out. Lord, somehow, Lord, we need to be reminded on a regular basis that it's hopeless. And only then can you do the work that you want to do in our lives by faith. Lord, help us not to have to learn lessons the hard way like Abraham. Help us just to trust your word, to know that you're going to do the impossible in us and through us as we allow you, as we give you room, as we give you permission to work in our hearts and lives. Today, Lord, there's somebody here your spirit is speaking to and saying, my son, my daughter, stop trying on your own. 
I can do it for you. Believe me. Trust me. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Lord, you've told us that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You've told us that salvation is not by our own works, lest we should boast, but it's by grace through faith. Lord, these truths need to be re-emphasized in our hearts and minds on a daily basis. Lord, if there's someone here who just wants to say that prayer with me today, Lord, I I give my heart to you to, to do a work and a miracle that I can't do for myself. Lord, I just pray that you'll bless them. Bless them with the knowledge that you are still a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and we now, as those who believe, are the spiritual descendants, the spiritual heirs of those same promises. Help us to be fully persuaded that what you have promised, you're able also to perform. Give us that experience, we ask, in Jesus' name, for his sake, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.